0: hi everybody my name is charles i'm one of the pastors on the teaching team Uh, i want to invite all of you in the room right now to to join me in welcoming those of you who are joining us in worship in fitchburg in downtown gospel fusion all right and don't stop clapping because big special welcome back to our traditions venue and our chinese venue yeah welcome back so glad to have you guys back. Uh, shout out to the Chinese speakers, Dishon, and Ping Pingan, and to everyone, welcome to Black Hawk Church. We're so very glad you're here. Now, you're thinking about the basketball. You're thinking about my Bucks logo polo shirt up here. Now, I think most of you know that the Milwaukee Bucks have made the NBA Finals. And it's been a long time coming, right? 47 years since last time they were in the finals, 50 years since they last won a title. So this is a big deal. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I am actually not a Bucks fan. <laughs> I am a Lakers fan, which means NBA Finals are not that big a deal for us. <laughs> However, that does not mean I cannot celebrate with my friends who are Bucks fans. So there we go, woo-hoo, go Bucks! <laughs> Now, to honor the Milwaukee Bucks making the finals, I'm going to, uh, to start the talk by telling you about my playing days. Back in my day, I dominated the court. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, a lot of skepticism here, folks. I don't get it, okay? I'm telling you absolutely the truth, okay? If you understand my day as being eighth grade, the court as being my friend Mike Veerman's driveway and dominated as being me standing under the basket, grabbing rebounds and putting it back in at will because I towered over Mike's little sister. (laughs) Glory days, man. Wow. (sighs) Now, well, one day Mike's little sister had enough and she said to me, Charles, you can't do this. I'm like, can't do what? She said, you can't just keep standing under the basket. It's against the rules. I'm saying, what kind of a stupid rule is that? So I looked it up, and as it turns out, she was right. So here is the rule in the most recent edition of the NBA Official Rulebook 2021 under Rule Number 10, Violations and Penalties, Section 6, Offensive Three-Second Rule. It reads like this, paragraph A, an offensive player shall not remain for more than three seconds in that part of his free-throw lane between the end line and extended four feet, imaginary, off the court and the farther edge of the free-throw line while the ball is in control of his team. Well, that's really clear, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's oh, by the way, there's paragraph B and paragraph C. Didn't want to put that up there, too crowded. Okay. So you notice that the NBA rulebook is not exactly written to be easily understood, right? There's, there's all kinds of like you know, technical jargon, like end line, extended four feet imaginary. I mean, the, the, the tone is kind of antiseptic. It reads like legalese. The NBA rulebook is not written to be easy to understand. It's not written to be fun to read. It's written to be precise. Because we need that precision, because this rulebook establishes and regulates the game of basketball. Now, for those of us here who actually don't know the three-second rule, here is the gist. So this is kind of an NBA half court, right? Okay. So if your team has the ball, here's the rule. Here's the rule. You cannot just stand under the basket in this shaded area. You can go in, stay there for three seconds, and then you need to come out before you can go back in. Now, there are exceptions to this. But I think for most of us, that's all we need to know. Okay. Now, here's the thing. That's the rule, and that's a good rule. It prevents people from just standing under the basket the whole time. You know, somebody like me. And, and look, I was learning basketball in eighth grade, so I learning the rule. I was encouraged to leave this area. I started to go outside. I learned to dribble. I learned to shoot. I learned to set picks. I learned, I learned to work with other teammates. I became a better player because I learned this rule. Now you're wondering, what does this have to do with anything, Charles? <laughs> well. We are in a 10-part series called Rooted, in which we are going through the Statement of Faith of EFCA. EFCA stands for Evangelical Free Church of America, and that is the denomination that our church belongs to. And the Statement of Faith is a summary of the theological commitments of our church. Pastor Matt, last Sunday, kicked it off, and he tackled Article 1 of the Statement of Faith about God. And today, I'm going to be talking about Article 2, about the Bible. But before I get into that, I want to spend some time thinking through the relationship between theology and following Jesus, okay? I want to have some clarity on that. And so I thought, I'm going to compare theology with the MBA official rulebook, okay? Now, remember, this is a comparison. This is a metaphor. The first rule of metaphor is don't push metaphors too far, okay? So, yeah, so I'm going to list out the points I want to make with this metaphor, Alright, so point number one. The NBA rule book establishes the foundation of basketball. If you actually flip through it, it talks about the size of the court, it talks about paintings on the ground, it talks about the height of the rim, the size of the rim, the size of the basketball. It talks about what's legal and not legal to do on the court while you're playing the game. Okay? Now, so, the rules establishes the foundation. Similarly, theology establishes the foundation of Christianity. Okay? So, without theology, We don't know that there is a God, one God, who is a person, who has a plan, who is the author of the gospel. Theology tells us that Jesus of Nazareth is actually the son of God. He is divine. He's the second person of the Trinity, and that his death and resurrection achieves for us our future resurrection, our salvation, and our transformation. Without these basic theological truths, There's no such thing as Christianity. There's no such thing as following Jesus. Theology is foundational. Number two, knowing some rules makes you a better player. If you watch basketball or if you watch like a a rule-intensive sport like football, you'll notice that sometimes a player will make a really smart play, right? Because they know the rule really well, and because of that, they help their team to win. So a good player doesn't need to know all the rules. They just need to know the important ones. Similarly, Christ followers, like you don't need to know everything there's to know about theology. But you need to know some. There's some theology that is critical for you to know in order to follow Jesus better. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about this, right? He talked about how people have misconceptions about God. They think of God as a, a concierge or a mob boss or like a, kind of like the energy or a force that you can manipulate. Well, if, he, if that's how you see God, you're going to have a really messed up relationship with him. Okay? Having right theology helps you follow Jesus better. Number three. Playing basketball is different from knowing the rules. Well, that seems obvious. Playing basketball means getting on the court, learning how to dribble, learning how to drive, learning how to shoot, learning about teamwork, playing defense. Right, all kinds of strategies, all kinds of plays going on on the court that has that's found nowhere in the rule book. The same with following Jesus. Following Jesus is about a relationship with Jesus. It's about engaging God with your whole life. It's about participating in the community of the people of God, and as a community, responding to God's calling to be His partner in transforming this world. That's following Jesus, and that's different from knowing theology. Number four. Given number three, well, you don't have to know all the rules to start playing. You learn the rules as you learn to play, and you learn the the ones that help you play better. That's true for almost any sport we learn. I mean, I don't know a single kid who learned to play basketball by reading the official NBA rule book. And I don't think you should learn to follow Jesus by reading a theology textbook. Now, I know, I know, (laughs) we're doing a series on the Statement of Faith of EFCA, right? This is what sermon series is all about. So what's that about? Well, here's the thing. Our church is grounded and committed to this set of statements. What that means is that the leaders of the church, the elders, the pastors, we are committed to it. But that does not mean that for individual Christ followers in the church, you have to understand all of it or embrace it. Okay? You don't have to understand all of it in order to follow Jesus. And you certainly don't have to f- understand all of it or embrace it to be part of this church. You don't have to believe to belong. That's really in- important to know. Given that we're all in different places when it comes to our knowledge of theology, every one of us, you are welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're very glad you're here. finally, Knowing the rules doesn't mean you don't know how to play basketball. Okay. There are some people out there who know the NBA rulebook inside and out. They can quote chapter and verse. And they can tell you the way you're doing your Eurostep, that's actually a traveling violation. But they don't step on the court. They don't know how to play. Similarly, there are people out there who know theology. They know a ton of theology. And they love getting to theological debates. And they love to correct you when you're wrong. But they don't know much about following Jesus. That's important to know. So, Blackhawk, we believe theology is foundational. Our church is grounded and rooted in our theological commitments. And we also believe that for for you to to follow Jesus, you need to know some theology, and how much you need depends on where you are on the journey. Some of you guys, you need some more theology right now because that's going to allow you to grow further. And some of you, you probably have too much. Okay. And we also recognize that knowing theology is not the same thing as following Jesus. Two separate things. So I want to lay that out there right at the beginning, as we're near the beginning of the series, because I want us to have a a good, right relationship with our statement of faith. So with that, we're going to get into the second article of our statement of faith. That was kind of a long intro, huh? (laughs) All right, here's the second article. Under E.F. statement of faith, the Bible. I'm going to read it to you. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Now, I'm thinking some of you, When I was reading this, you're having the same reaction you had when I was reading the three-second rule violation, right? (laughs) So theology, like the MBA rulebook, is not written to be fun to read. It's not written to be easy to be be understood. Um, It's written to be precise. This statement is crafted by theologians. And, 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 they, and they use very precise theological terms, theological jargon. Terms like uh, verbally inspired. Like, what, what does that mean, right? Um, without error. Okay, well, what does that mean? What do they mean by that? Um, original writings. Huh. Original writings. Complete revelation, right? Ultimate authority, right? These, these, these kind of theological jargon phrases just run through this, 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 this statement here. So... It'll take me about three hours or so to walk through the statement and, and explain every term. So I hope you haven't made lunch plans. I'm kidding. However, if you want, some of you believe me, right? Uh, if, you, if you want to go deeper into the statement, we, we are having a podcast this Wednesday. And if you have questions about anything on that, in that statement or anything you hear in this talk this morning, please send it to podcast at blockhutchurch.org. Okay, podcast at blockhutchurch.org. I will be joining the podcast on Wednesday, and hopefully we'll answer as many questions. We're going to run through as many questions as we we possibly can. That's for Wednesday. Now, um, I also want to recommend to you this book. This book is called Evangelical Convictions. It's published by the Evangelical Free Church of America by our denomination. And it just walks through every single statement, every phrase, every word. It just kind of goes through it and explains it all. So if you want to do a deep dive into the statement of faith of our denomination, I'd highly recommend this book. So this statement, not fun to read, not easy to understand. It is, however, important. This statement is part of the bedrock commitment that we make as a church. Okay? We, 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 the leaders of this church, the elders, the pastors, we, we are rooted to this statement. And this statement guides and constrains what we do here at Blackhawk Church. Let me show you what I mean by that. Okay? First off, you notice that the statement defines scriptures as being the Old and New Testaments. If you come to Blackhawk on a regular basis, you would have noticed that we preach the Bible a lot. Okay? However, we don't preach books that are not in the Old and the New Testament. And that makes us different from other Christian traditions. Christian traditions like the Roman Catholics or the Eastern Orthodox, they have books that are not in the Old and New Testament that they consider to be Scripture. Now, our view is that, hey, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. However, we believe that the Word of God is limited to books in the Old and New Testament. Also, we believe that this list of what's in the Scripture is closed. We don't add new books. So, yeah, so while we value writings, by, by, you know, spiritual writings, by, by great saints of the Middle Ages, or, or writings in the 20th century, 21st century, great Christian writers. We think they're really helpful, and we recommend and encourage you guys to read them. We do not preach from them on Sunday mornings. Okay? We don't elevate them to the level of Scripture. That's just one way in which this statement affects how we do things. Here's another example. We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures through the words of human authors. Now, you've been around Blackhawk, you know how much we like to talk about the human author, right? Every time we read a book, who, is, who wrote it, why did they write it, who are they writing to? Right, that's the question we're always asking. What does a text mean in its original historical context? We say the statement, the Bible not written to us, but for us. Well, this entire way of approaching the Bible, reading it from within this historical context, that comes out of this statement right here. Bible is the word of God, yes. It is also the words of the human authors. I'll give you one more example. You notice sometimes at Blockout we will talk about contemporary hot button issues like politics, race, human sexuality. Yeah. And you also notice that when we do that, we always start with what does the Bible say? And that comes out right here. The ultimate authority, the Bible is the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. We believe the Bible is the starting point. It provides the framework, it provides the the worldview from which we now seek to understand our world and to evaluate our contemporary world. So we preach about contemporary issues. Yes, we do. The statement tells us to. But we preach about them using the Bible's evaluative framework. That's what the statement tells us to do. So, hey, let me me just make something clear, okay? You don't have to buy this to follow Jesus. You don't have to buy this to be part of our church. You don't have to believe to belong. But you should know that the leaders of this church, the elders, the pastors, we are committed to this, okay? And it guides and constrains what we do around here. It, It shapes how we preach. It tells you why we're preaching the Bible as often as we can, And it tells you why it is that that our aim is for our entire community to become people who are rooted in the Bible. Because becoming rooted in the Bible is critical for following Jesus. All right. So let me move out of theology, and let's go to the Bible. I want to talk about what it means to be rooted in the Bible. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Psalm 1. We're going to look at the first three verses of Psalm 1. Now Psalm 1 verse 1 says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. I, want to, I need to clarify something because people in our culture, when they read the Bible, they, they think that, they think certain way about the Bible. Okay? So when they, when, they, when they look at verse 1 where it says wicked or, or sinners or mockers, they think, oh, Psalm 1 verse 1 is about basic thing like don't do evil, don't sin, don't do bad things. And once they read that verse one, then they immediately think, well, verse two has got to be blessed as a person who do good things, right, who do what is righteous, love God and love people. And why do people think that? Because people in our culture have this idea that the Bible is basically about don't sin, do good, you get rewarded in heaven. Now, let me see if I can make it as clear as I possibly can. That is not what the Bible is about. Right? And that is definitely not what someone is about. Now, I did a sermon on Psalm 1 last summer um, in, in, the, in the Psalm series. If you want to go deep into Psalm 1, I, I actually go through every word, every phrase. So you can look, up, look that up online. But here, I just want to point out, the, the, the language in verse 1 is very significant, very clear, right? It doesn't say, blessed is the person who don't do wicked things. It says, who does not walk in step with the wicked. It doesn't say, blessed is a person who don't sin. It says, they don't stand in the way that sinners take. Are you getting that, right? Very precise language. Does not walk in step. Does not stand in the way. What Psalm 1 verse 1 is getting at is something much deeper than just behavior. It's getting at alignment. Who do you identify with? What communities have you joined? And now you're choosing to see the world through their lens. Psalm 1 verse 1 says, don't join people who are opposed to God. Rather, verse 2 will tell you, align yourself with God and see the world through his lens. Here's verse two. But whose delight is in the law of Yahweh. When you see the word Lord in all caps, that's marks God's personal name, Yahweh, and who meditates on his law day and night. Okay, right, we need to solve a quick problem here. Uh, the word law here, uh, Hebrew word is Torah, and the basic meaning of Torah is not law. It's teaching. Now, there are laws and regulations and commands in God's teaching, but there are also a lot of other things. There's poetry, there's stories, there's proverbs, there's wisdom literature, there are prayers, all kinds of stuff in God's teaching. Right. So if you have your Bible, your English, your paper Bible, go ahead and cross off law okay, and write teaching on the side. That will make this passage so much clearer. Okay? Blessed is the person who delights in the teaching of Yahweh. Which, for us in our age, it's referring to the Bible. Blessed is a person who delights in the Bible. Now, delight, Hebrew word hayfets, it's an emotion word. It's describing an emotional response to reading Scripture. It's about a person who's like reading the Bible and is like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is, a, this is crazy. This is a, Oh my gosh. God creates the world. That's great. That's great. Oh no, humans rebelled. We're, we're not become broken people in a broken world. Oh no, things get worse. What's going to happen? Oh wait, God shows up. God is faithful. Or as Pastor Matt said last week, God is stubborn. He is stubborn. He is going to fix this world. Oh, he puts together a kingdom of God called ancient Israel. Well, that's exciting. That's going to fix everything, right? Oh no, it doesn't work. Ancient Israel, they rebel against God. Oh, God has to send them into exile. What's going to happen now? Oh, wait. God is stubborn. This time he sends his son, Jesus of Nazareth, to the world to live and to die for us. And he establishes a church, a new kingdom of God. And this time it's going to work. Why? Because Jesus is gonna be the king of this kingdom of God, and the Holy Spirit empowers everybody in it, and they're gonna change the world. Yes! Amen. That's the story of the Bible. That's the gospel. And blessed is the person who delights in that story. Amen. Hey, sense, delight in the story. And, and and it's not just reading the Bible, because we start delighting in it. Oh my gosh. It, you can't stop thinking about it. The text says here that, 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 that this person, they start to meditate. The word there is "hagah," It means to mutter, to moan. It's somebody who walks around going like this. They're talking to themselves. They're thinking about it. All right, this, this verse is describing somebody who's reading the Bible, and the Bible has captured their imagination. And all they want to do is think about, wait a minute, Now, okay, this is the story. I'm in the story. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, how does that affect how I see my relationship, how I see see my work, my school, my my, my job, my my whole existence? And they're working out the implications of the story on everything they believe, everything they say, everything they do. And they're doing this all day long. And the psalmist describes this person as being rooted. Verse three. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. (laughs) You see that, right? You see that, right? That's a rooted person. The person who delights in the Bible, that person is rooted. They're nourished by what they're reading and what they're learning. What does it mean to be rooted in the Bible. It doesn't mean just to read the Bible. Psalm 1 verse 2 is very clear. It's talking about somebody who delights. It's an emotional reaction. And when you you have that emotional reaction of delight, it's signaling to you that you're now engaged in a way of reading that leads to life transformation. Your delight will signal you that you're now reading the Bible in a way it was meant to be read. Okay. You'll know. So how do we become people who delight in the Bible? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, everybody has a different story. Okay, The way God works with people, is just all, it's all different. So I'm going to tell you my story. Okay, may help you, may not. This is my story. I did not start off reading the Bible delighting in it, not even close. I started going off to church when I was 10, and what I learned there this is what was, vaguely, what was roughly communicated to me about what is in the Bible, that the Bible contains basically two different things. One is sin avoidance. The other is sin management. Okay? Sin avoidance. God cares about what I say, what I do, and most importantly, what I think. Okay? And uh, that's bad. Because <laughs> I think a lot of bad stuff. Now, when I do sin, which they told me, was something I was doing non-stop all the time. Now we move into sin management, because that's where the cross comes in. The cross takes care of the sin. So the Bible is roughly this. It's sin avoidance, sin management, oh yeah, you go to heaven as a reward. I don't know about you, that feels like such a joyless drudgery. Was it any wonder that I had no desire to read the Bible? And then Oh, here's the thing. I had to. Okay, I knew I had to read the Bible. Why? Because they say, hey, Charles, Jesus died for your sins. The least you can do is get up in the morning and read the Bible for 30 minutes. Come on. So some days I got up and read the Bible. Most days I stayed in bed and made Jesus cry. (laughs) Two things happened when I was in college that changed my relationship with the Bible. Number one. I learned that crazy, insane, but that was foundational concept of Christianity. It's called grace. (laughs) Now, now grace is a big topic, and I can't get to it today. We'll talk more about it in this series. It will come up, obviously. But as it relates to reading the Bible, here's what I finally learned. God will not love me more if I read the Bible. And he will not love me less if I don't. Did you get that? Because that was huge for me. God will not love me more if I read the Bible, and he will not love me less if I don't. I don't know about you, I have a hard time in delighting in anything if I'm doing it out of guilt and obligation. The second thing I learned is what the Bible is all about. It turns out, as I learned, that God's main concern is not over my sins, which kind of makes sense. If you think about it, right, the creator God of the universe should have bigger fish to fry. It turns out God is, is all about restoring the world, rescuing it from corruption and brokenness and sin and death. And what God is really doing is looking for partners. Right? He's looking to establish peace, justice, wholeness under the reign of Jesus, the Son of God, the ultimate king of the universe. And the Bible is asking this pivotal question to anybody who reads it. Do you want to be part of this? Do you want to be part of what Jesus is doing? And once I understood that, I began to delight in the Bible. I want to be God's partner. I wanted to get my life to something bigger than myself. And so the Bible gave me a mission. It gave me purpose. And so then I begin to allow the Bible to shape my thinking, how I see the world, how I make decisions. That's my story. What's your story? What's your relationship with the Bible? Now, some of you, you're like, you know, I, I, I read the Bible regularly. I, 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 like, I enjoy reading it. And reading the Bible is changing how I see God, how I see myself, how I see the world. And it's deepening my relationship with Jesus. And I say, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Keep going. But I also think that a lot of us here, we we have difficulties with the Bible. We have we have struggles getting delighting in it, being rooted in it. And there because there's all kinds of obstacles that get in the way. I, I want to just name off two obstacles. No, number one is, of course, we, we misunderstand what the Bible is about. Right? We some of us we read the Bible um, as for advice for the for advice for the good life. Some of us, we read the Bible because we have problems that we need solved. Some of us, we read the Bible because we are down and we need encouragement. And some of us, we read the Bible because it's, you know, it's morality. It's telling us don't do's and don'ts. Now, let me make this perfectly clear. There are parts of the Bible that absolutely gives you good advice about how to live a good life. And there are parts of the Bible that absolutely helps you solve problems. And there are parts of the Bible that will encourage you when you're down And there are parts of the Bible that lays out God's ethics, right and wrong. But we need to see the Bible as a whole. When we start grasping the Bible as a whole, we see that it is the revelation of God's gospel. What he wants to do with a broken world. That he wants to change the world and he's inviting you to partner with him. And when you start seeing the Bible that way, it'll help you begin to delight in it and help you become rooted in it. A second obstacle. I talk to enough of you to know that this is a very common one. People say to me, Charles, I read the Bible and I find things in there I disagree with. Yeah. And, and, and they don't like to talk about it very much because they feel like they're going to get judged. They don't want to verbalize it because they feel like it's wrong to disagree with things in the Bible. So let me, help, let me see if I can make this as, clearly as, as clear as possible. Okay. If you read the whole Bible carefully and you find nothing that you disagree with, something is wrong. <laughs> if you have problems with what I just said, email Matt, um, M, um, Matt Metzger at, <laughs> at BlackHotChurch.org. Okay, Send it to him, senior pastor. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Look, no, no, I'm serious about this. I'm actually serious. I'm actually serious. We, most of us, well, all of us are, are born and raised in 20th, 21st century. Most of us are raised here in North America. We are shaped by our culture around us. The Bible speaks from an eternal perspective reflecting God's values. You think those two things are gonna mesh? Heck no. They're not gonna mesh, not even close. So you're not gonna agree with the Bible. Okay? Here's the thing. When you, when, you, when you read the Bible, if you don't feel some kind of tension, some kind of like resistance, like this is not quite right. This feels weird. This feels different. If you don't feel that, then either you're not thinking very deeply about what you're reading or maybe even worse, you're making the Bible say what you want it to say. Amen. Okay? So here it is. If you, if you... It's okay to disagree with the Bible. You can still follow Jesus. How do I know that? The Bible tells me that. <laughs> the Bible is loaded with people, some of God's biggest, most important partners. They disagree with God vehemently about some of the most important things. I, uh, Abraham, I, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Jeremiah, Jonah, Job, Peter, they disagree with God. and what happens? They stick with God. They stick with Jesus. And in their struggle, in their questioning, they come closer to knowing God and to loving this God. So if you disagree with the Bible, first of all, get in line. Second, don't let that stop you from reading the Bible. Don't let that stop you from following Jesus. Instead, invite the Holy Spirit who is with you to help you with the things you're disagreeing with him about. Okay, Let God do the work in you. You don't have to change your mind immediately, but give God the space to work things out with you. Now, I know there are other obstacles. We can't get into all of them. But I do want to end this talk with a challenge. Because we really want our community to be full of people who are rooted in the Bible, who read the Bible, and delight in it. And you really can't delight in the Bible if you don't read it. So uh, here's the challenge. Uh, this is summertime and uh, it's reading time, right? <laughs> I'm going to challenge you to read a book in the Bible. And the, the, the book is this it's the book of Acts. Why? Because that's the book we're going to be reading as a church in the fall, starting in September all the way through to, this, to, to Christmas. We're going to spend some serious time in the book of Acts. Okay. So I want you, starting today, okay, don't at your own pace. You don't have to rush through it. The, 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 the book of Acts is great, it's a bunch of little stories. Okay, take a story, read it write down your thoughts, write down your questions, and then just kind of work your way through it. And when you're done, if you finish quickly, go through it from the beginning again. Do it a couple times so that when we start preaching, you're like, oh yeah, I know the story already. So we can have conversation. We can can read it together as a community. Get ready. Giving you a head start on what's happening in the fall. Are you guys willing to do that? Yeah? All right. Read the book of Acts. That's the challenge. All right. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word of, that you have inspired and written by these human authors who are, who are your partners and, the, and, and they're faithful in, in, in writing down the things that they're thinking and you're inspiring them to write. And we're grateful that we live in a place where we have access to your Bible and that we can learn and we can read. And so, Father, what we pray for, what we want is our church, our community, to become a full of people who are rooted in the Bible, full of people who, who delight in your story, who delight in what you're planning to do in this world. And we want to see it, and we yearn for it, and we want to partner with you in it. We want to be people who, who join with you in bringing about peace, justice, wholeness in this broken world. And we want to do it under the reign of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of the universe. We give you praise and thanks, for to you belong all glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Amen.